Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. In this hour, we're going to continue our series on uh, red uh, words that are in Scripture, that are the words that Jesus himself spoke. And maybe your faith supply feels like it's running a little bit low. Maybe that's where you're at. And the beautiful uh, message of the Bible is, according to my guest, uh, is that Jesus gives free refills if your faith supply is running low. And how do we get a free refill? Well, we go back and reconnect with Jesus in various areas. And we're going to talk today to uh, Mark Atterbury, and he's going to uh, talk about um, passage in Scripture out of Matthew 8. And it's going to be a, a great a great hour. Mark, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks, Bill. It's good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, I love this idea uh, of our faith supply running low, and we can go get refilled. I, I love that idea, and I'm looking forward to talking more about that. And are we going to talk about Matthew 8 today? Yes. You know, everything in life runs low sooner or later. My iced tea glass at lunch today, <laughs> it, I, it, it needed a refill. Yeah. Uh, my gas tank, I actually not only needed a refill at lunch, but on the way home from lunch, I had to stop and get gas. Uh, I mean, everything runs low sooner or later. It's just kind of how life works. And your faith runs low, too, sometimes. And uh, things happen to us and cause us to question things or maybe just our own lack of commitment to the spiritual disciplines or whatever. But when faith runs low, you're right. Jesus gives free refills. Mm -hmm. The way he refills our faith is just when we go back to him and rediscover all the things about his life and his work and his character that caused us to fall in love with him the first time. Mm -hmm. It's really not a complicated thing. You know, sometimes we get lazy or we drift or whatever, but if you go back to Jesus and really focus on those things that cause you to fall in love with him the first time, you'll find your faith refilling. And so I had this idea for this series on red letters, you know, the idea that Jesus' words are so powerful. And so I picked a story out of Matthew 8. It's also in Mark 4 and Luke 8. It's actually told in three different places in the Gospels. About the time that Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples in a storm. Now, there are two of those stories. And one of them has Jesus walking on the waves to them in the storm, And if you remember, that's the one where he tells Peter to step out of the boat and walk on the water, and he does and starts to sink. That's one story. But this story is the one, I think it's it's really kind of interesting because Jesus is in the boat with the disciples. The Bible says the storm was terrible. The waves were breaking over the boat. Realize now this is not a big boat. This is a fishing boat. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in verse 24, it says, You know, these guys are fighting the storm for all they're worth, but they're not getting any help from Jesus because, and this is the amazing thing, he was sound asleep. (laughs) I mean, I've heard of sound sleepers before, but 
but I, I think we need to think this through for a second. You know, I've had people say to me when they read this story, you see, Mark, this is why I don't believe the Bible. Something like this is just ridiculous. There's no way anybody could sleep through a storm like this. Well, now let's think about that for a second. I did some research, and, and there are stories. You can Google these. They're out there. Uh, factual stories. For example, there was a story in the news about a man who woke up one morning, you know, like we all do. He stretched and he yawned and he went over and opened his bedroom door and found that the rest of his house had blown away from a <laughs> tornado during the night. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah, you talk about again, you talk about rude awakenings. That is like the ultimate rude awakening when you realize your house is gone and you slept through it. Another story that I found interesting was about a guy in a recliner and he's and he's asleep and a car comes crashing through the wall of his house and pulls up and stops about three feet from his recliner and the guy doesn't wake up. The the guy in the car gets out of the car, he walks over and shakes the man awake. And these things really actually happen. Wow. And and so as crazy as those stories are, I mean if you think about it, there are reasons why that could happen. Maybe maybe these guys were deaf, for example, and just didn't hear anything. Right. Or maybe they were on powerful medication and were passed out. Or it's not a happy thought, but maybe they were stone cold drunk. Right. I mean there are explanations for things like this. Now, we know none of these were true of Jesus. He wasn't deaf and he wasn't on powerful medication and he and he wasn't drunk. So how could he possibly have slept through this storm? Well, think about this. Jesus worked probably as hard as any human has ever worked. He walked everywhere he went from town to town. He taught sometimes for hours and hours at a time. He had thousands of people showing up who wanted to talk to him. He would listen to them. He, he answered their questions. He explained theology to them. He counseled the trouble. He healed the sick. I mean, Jesus was a guy who was busy all the time because he knew his time was limited, and he had a lot to get done. And then think about this. God's eternal plan hinged entirely, and I mean entirely, on Jesus' ability to remain faithful and stay the course. Even during the days when his enemies were attacking him and dogging his steps and trying everything they could think of to tripping up, trip him up. I mean, if you put all that together, how could Jesus not have been just bone tired most of the time? So that's, that's one thing to consider. But here's an even greater reason why I think Jesus was able to lay his head down in the middle of a storm and sleep. And that is because he had complete confidence in his heavenly Father's loving care and protection. Mm. So, you know that chokes me and up, that, Mark. Uh, you know that's hard for us, <clears throat> yeah, because we worry so much. We're yeah. we're not used to trusting God that much. No, but you know, in in Psalm four eight, David said this. I love this quote. He said, "In peace, I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe." And if there's anybody out there listening to this broadcast who has trouble sleeping, um, you know, maybe if you work on your faith a little bit um, and begin to trust God more, maybe you'll sleep better. Now, you know, we look at this story, and, and we have the advantage of historical perspective. You know, we're, we're looking at this for many, many years after the event, 
And so we can see what happened and we know everything turned out okay. But imagine if you were actually in that boat at that time and you don't know how things are going to turn out. And in fact, the way things are looking, you got a pretty good feeling it's not going to turn out good for you at all. You think this boat is going to sink. You think you're going to drown. If I had been in that boat, Bill, I'll, I'll just be honest. I think I would have been doing exactly what the disciples were doing. I think I would have been screaming at Jesus, too. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have cared if he was tired. And I wouldn't have wanted to hear him raise his head off, up off that pillow and start quoting Psalms. <laughs> I, I would have just wanted him to do something. Jesus, can't you see what's happening here? Do something. And finally, finally, Jesus did. And these are the red letter words that he spoke. Not a big long sermon, not a big dissertation on whatever topic. He just raised his head off the cushion and said, silence, be still. Some versions say peace, be still. Three words. Now, I always think when I read this that I wonder if the disciples thought he was talking to them. Because they're standing there yelling at him, <laughs> screaming at him. Right. And I can imagine him saying, hey, fellas, can't you let a brother get a little sleep here? Mm-hmm. Can you hold it down a little bit? I, I just wonder if they thought he was talking to them. But I will say this. If they were confused about who he was talking to, the wind and the waves were not confused. Mm-hmm. The wind and the waves knew he was talking to them because they obeyed. And I love this. They obeyed instantly. You know, you get yourself in a storm and, and, you know, it's it's bad. And you you say, well, we'll just wait till it lets up a little bit. And it starts (laughs) tapering off and, you know, it's it's not raining as hard. Another couple of minutes and, and it'll stop raining and we can go. That's not how this happened. It says the sea suddenly grew calm, the wind stopped blowing, and uh, the Bible says, actually, the word is suddenly, the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And the disciples are standing there in this boat on the verge of collapsing. They've been fighting this storm. They're, you know, they're at the end of their strength, and they look at each other. I can just picture this. They look at each other and say, whoa. Did that really just happen? Did he really just stop that storm on a dime? Or maybe they said shekel, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I, I think it was probably the most amazing thing they had ever seen Jesus do up to that point. Mm-hmm. And, here, and here's what I want to stress. Jesus did this incredible miracle, not with a wave of his hand, not with a snap of his fingers, not with a Samantha Stevens-like twitch of his nose. He did this with his words. Those red-letter words in the Gospels. I wonder, I wonder if we realize how powerful they are. You know, we know words are powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, even human words are powerful. People have, people have said things over the centuries that have been so impactful that they have resonated for hundreds of years and are still resonating today. Mm -hmm. Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. Mm -hmm. 
Thomas Edison, one of my favorite quotes, said, I haven't failed. I've just discovered a thousand things that won't work. <laughs> I mean, that's a great quote, and it's true. It's so Shakespeare true. Shakespeare said, to thine own self be true. In other words, don't try to be somebody else. Don't don't try to make other people happy. To thine own self be true. And we could go on and on. Bill, we could fill up the rest of this hour with quotes. Yeah. Uh, great quotes from great people. But let me tell you. Patrick Henry, Thomas Edison, Shakespeare, Billy Graham, Will Rogers, Martin Luther King, Socrates, you can name anybody you want to name. None of them ever controlled the wind and the waves with their words. Wow. And Mark, they, the, the uh, disciples would have known that from Psalm 107 that only God can calm the storm and quiet right. the waves. So they would be instantly aware of the presence of the person they were in. I think that probably came right back to their mind when yeah. it happened. Yeah. Yes. Let me take my uh, first break. Uh, Mark Atterbury is my guest, and we are in the red words of Jesus, and we're looking at um, Matthew chapter 8 and Jesus calming the storm with just his words. We'll be right back. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome to the show. If you just joined me, I hope you had a great day. And if you're just climbing into your car and getting your seatbelt on and pointing towards home, we're talking about the red words of Jesus. And if your faith supply feels like it's running a little bit low, you've tuned into the right program. Uh, Award-winning author Mark Atterbury is my guest. And we're talking about the powerful words that Jesus used in Matthew 8 in particular, where he calms the storm. And it wasn't with a wave of his hand or a snap of his fingers. It was with his words. So our faith supply can be refilled with the power of the words of Jesus. And Mark, I was just right before break, we were talking about the Old Testament reference um, in Psalm 107 that only only God can calm a storm. So uh, in the boat that day, they were thinking, hmm, we're, we're with someone pretty amazing. I, I think there were a lot of moments like that for the disciples yeah. where Jesus did things, and all of a sudden, you know, the, uh, the dots started connecting. All of those Old Testament scriptures started making maybe a little more sense. But, but you know, when Jesus calmed that storm with those three words, peace be still or silence be still, it shows us how powerful his words are. But sometimes I I wonder if we remember that or, or think enough about it. Let me, let me give you a couple examples. You know, I'm a preacher, and we live in a podcast world. You know, I, I think I'm the last preacher left in America that doesn't have a podcast. And people are always asking me, why don't you have a podcast? When are you going to start a podcast? And when I go to gatherings of ministers – I'll tell you, Bill, it's not five minutes before the subject of podcasts come up Mm -hmm. because everybody wants to know what everybody else is listening to. Like they're all afraid there's some great podcast out there that they're not plugged into. And so they talk about podcasts all the time. And that's fine. I have no problem with podcasts. But I wonder 
if we give as much attention to Jesus's words as we do to the words of our favorite podcasters? Mm. I mean, it's, I just wonder. And and that's not all. You know, I, I see people who encounter problems or struggles, and I wonder if the average Christian is more likely to Google the problem to get some help or go pick up his Bible and start reading. And I'm kind of afraid of the answer to that. Yeah, me too. And, you know, there's there's like, um, you know, we have our favorite authors, people that we love their books. And, and what do we get more excited about? A new release by our favorite author or that old dusty Bible sitting in on the shelf that we probably haven't picked up? in maybe months. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there are a lot of great words in this world, but no words are as great as Jesus's words. No words are as powerful as Jesus's words. And I I just wonder if we have forgotten that a little bit. And so what I'd like to do, just take this story in Matthew 8 of the storm and Jesus calming the storm, and I'd like to remind our listeners of three things Jesus's words do. Now, these are three really important things for everybody. I don't care who you are. It's important that you know this about Jesus' words. Number one, they calm storms. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I live in Florida, so I've got a Ph.D. in storms. (laughs) Um, I've lived through, I think, I think I'm up to six hurricanes now. Not Uh, to mention large bugs. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. In 2004, uh, three hurricanes went almost directly over my house in seven weeks. Wow. And Jean was one. They were Charlie, Francis, and Jean. Jean was one of those, those hurricanes. And during that hurricane, I saw something I never want to see again as long as I live. I looked out my back window. We had wood over our windows, boards nailed up, but I could had a little crack there. And I looked out my window, and I saw two small oak trees in our backyard, about 20 feet apart, and they were bending toward each other. Now, if you think about that for a second, that seems impossible, but it shows you the power of the wind, and it was swirling in such a tight vortex that one of those trees was bending, and I mean really leaning toward the north, and 20 feet away, another tree was leaning toward the south. And I heard debris hitting the outside of our house. It, it felt like we, people were shooting at our house. It felt like bullets were hitting the outside of our house. I remember, again, looking out that little crack and seeing a large piece of guttering pinwheeling across our yard like a piece of styrofoam. Mm. And to this day, when I sit down with my grandkids and watch The Wizard of Oz and that tornado sequence comes off, <laughs> I have a kind of an uncomfortable flashback right yeah. there. But the point is, swirling winds and flying debris are what you call chaos. Chaos is what storms produce, not just the storms that form in the sky, but also the ones that form in our lives. And there are probably listeners right now whose lives are incredibly chaotic because of some storm that they're dealing with. I was reminded of this not long ago. I spoke um, with a young woman whose marriage was in deep trouble because of her husband's infidelity. And her swirling emotions had her leaning one day, one way one day and another way the next day. One day she wanted to fight for her husband and her marriage, and the next day she wanted to strangle him. And you talk about flying debris. 
the the words that they were throwing at each other, like verbal hand grenades, were exploding and throwing off shrapnel and leaving emotional wounds in them that truly may never heal. Now that's a storm. And and if and if anyone listening to this right now is in a situation like that, if you're caught in a in a stormy situation, a stormy relationship that just has your life turned upside down, you need to remember our Lord's words calm storms. What they do is here's what they do, real simple. They bring order out of chaos. And in fact, we take it back to Genesis real quick. Genesis one two, we're told that the earth, as God originally created it, was formless. Second verse of the Bible says it was formless. Formless means without any kind of structure or design. In other words, all the elements were there, all the elements were present, but it was chaotic. They hadn't been organized yet. But when God began to speak and he said, let there be light, suddenly that formless, chaotic mass began to take shape and get organized. And over the next several days of creation, everything came together, and God said it was beautiful, it was perfect, it was good. And so when Jesus calms the storm over in Matthew 8, he's bringing order out of chaos. He's only doing what he did at the very beginning of time. Mm. This is his specialty, you see. I love that. I mean, yeah, this is what he does. Our lives get so messed up, so chaotic, and Jesus' words bring peace. They bring order out of chaos. And, and you know, um, if your faith is running low, if you've got a storm in your life, maybe three or four storms, I would guess probably that you maybe even – I don't know, for some people, maybe you can't even remember the last time you picked up your Bible and headed for a quiet spot and started really getting into the Word. But if there's a storm raging in your life, that's what you need to do. Second Timothy 3.16 says the Word corrects us when we're wrong. It straightens us out. Isn't that what we need when our lives become tangled and chaotic? We need to, need to be straightened out. Mm-hmm. And so the calm that you're craving, you're wishing for, is as close as your Bible. Mm. And I will I will guarantee every one of your listeners that within that book are the perfect words for your chaotic situation. Not that they're going to just magically change everything, but they will calm the storm in your heart. And, and you know, before the storm batters you another day, I urge you to get into the word. The psalmist said, I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I'm counting on him. I have put my hope in his words. Wow. So good. Mark Atterbury is my guest. We're continuing our series on the red words in scripture and the words of Jesus. And we're focusing on Matthew chapter eight. We're going to do lots more of that with uh, Mark after a short break. Thank you for joining me today. I'm looking forward to uh, more with Mark Atterbury in just a minute. You 
are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity, in a special repeat performance. Welcome to the show. If you just tuned in, thank you for doing so. Um, Mark Atterbury is my guest, and maybe you are in a place where your faith has run a little dry, because that happens to just about everybody. You're not alone. You look at some of the uh, great examples in the Bible. They had the same experience. They saw their faith, you know, go down to almost nothing, and they found themselves even questioning what they believed. And my guest, Mark, is uh, not only talking about that we go to God, we go to Jesus for a, a refill when our our faith is supply is low. He also wrote, uh, wrote a book about it called Free Ref- Refill, Coming Back for More of Jesus. And we're talking about Matthew chapter 8 today, which is the red words in your Bible, and Jesus calming the storm. And one of the things I love about this passage, Mark, is that they were pretty freaked out after he calmed the storm, because like you said earlier, the, st- the storm, the winds, the, the waves, they got instantly calm. And the men were amazed and said, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Exactly. Uh, I think it scared him on some level. And we'll talk about that, um, you know, talking about the words of Jesus and how important they are to us and how we sometimes forget um, what they do, what the words of Jesus do for us. And and so in the last session, uh, the section, I, I talked about how they calm storms. But here's something else Jesus' words do for, for everybody who's listening to this. They answer questions. Now, we all got questions. Questions are interesting, though. You know, Bill, have you noticed – I don't want to put you on the spot here, but have you noticed that people – maybe you've done this – they don't really ask the question that's on their mind. Instead, they ask a different question, often a softer question. And they hope the person they're speaking to is able to kind of read between the lines and give them the information they really want. Now, I'll give you an example. When a man's wife is giving him the cold shoulder for no reason he is he can figure out, you know, sometimes guys can be a little thick when it comes to, uh, you know, reading their wives or the room. And so, the, you know, your wife is giving you the cold shoulder. She's slamming the cabinet doors. And you're clueless. You don't know what's going on. So, you know, the the husband is not going to say, why are you being so rude? <laughs> mm-hmm. He's not going to say that. Mm-hmm. He, he, he probably wants to say that. And that's really the question he wants answered. But he's not going to say that. He's going to say, are you feeling okay? See, it's a softer question. Mm-hmm. But he's hoping that he'll get the real information that he's looking for. And and guys do this too, or, you know, women do this too. Like, uh, you know, when your wife does a pirouette in front of the mirror in a, in a new dress and she says, how do you like my dress? That's not the question she wants answered. Mm-hmm. She, she doesn't want to know how you like her dress. She wants to know how you like her. And so this happens all the time. Hidden messages and questions are embedded in much of the interaction that happens between people. And this incident with Jesus is a perfect example of it. In Matthew's version, when the storm 
weary disciples uh, wake Jesus, they say, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Now, what they really meant is expressed better in Mark's version. Over in Mark 4.38, they have, he has them saying to Jesus, Teacher, don't you even care that we're going to drown? Now, that's what they really wanted to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they really wanted to know how much Jesus cared. Mm-hmm. Now, if you, in fact, if you look at the middle of the question, the four words are right there. It's, don't you even care? Right. And that is the question, I think, that burns in our hearts so many times when trouble comes into our lives and the Lord doesn't seem to be doing anything to help us. You know, it's a question we hate ourselves for asking. Amen. You know, you don't want to ask that question, but it's there. It's the question that burned in Job's heart when he said, I cry to you, O God, but you don't answer me. I mean, what he's really saying is, Lord, do you even care about me? It's the question that caused the psalmist to cry out in Psalm 88.5. I am forgotten, cut off from your care. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think this is a question maybe we've all asked at one time or another of God, but especially people who are in storms. Lord, don't you even care? But here's the thing. You'll find your answer to that question the same place the disciples found theirs in this text. You'll find the answer in Jesus' words. When he said, silence, be still, or peace, be still, Yes, he was speaking to the storm. Yes, he was speaking to the wind and the waves. But he was also saying something to his disciples. What he was saying to them was, see, guys, I do care. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the most important things you can understand about the words of Jesus. It doesn't matter who or what he's speaking to in the text. He's always speaking to you and me. Every word, every sentence Jesus ever spoke has significance for us. And if you read his words, and if you read these stories, and if you read the parables, and you read all this stuff in the Gospels, these red-letter words woven throughout them, all those words and phrases are all the things we need to know in order to live happy, productive lives. And so, you know, if there's someone listening to this right now who's confused about life, somebody who's fighting a storm or multiple storms, and you just don't know anymore, you just don't know what's true anymore, one of the best things you can do is go back and study the words of Jesus. I, I do love, actually, that so many Bibles print the words of Jesus in red. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't know anything about the Bible and you don't know anything about the Gospels, you can just open up and kind of thumb through the pages and those red letters will pop out at you. And if you begin just to read the words of Jesus and let them soak in, you will be amazed at how many of the things he says, oh man, especially over in the Sermon on the Mount, how many of the things Jesus says speak just right exactly to the situation you're in. And so, yeah, his words answer questions. I don't know if you could have a question that Jesus didn't address in some way or on some level in in the Word. Mark, when I think of them being afraid because of the storm, and then they were more afraid when there wasn't a storm. Yeah, 
that's the next thing that, that these words do for us. They calm storms and, and they answer questions. But the third thing, the third thing Jesus' words do, they create fear. And this, this gets a little heavy, and um, there are a lot of people, you know, that fear just doesn't sound like a good thing in any way, shape, or form. But I'll show you why it is here. You know, you may never have thought about this before, but the fear of God is a critical component in the Christian life. Um, I've never known a strong Christian who didn't have it, and I've never known a weak Christian who did have it. Mm. And I will stand on that statement. If you don't have the fear of God in your life, you're probably going to be a terrible Christian, just in your lifestyle and the choices you make. I'm not saying you're not saved because God's grace is mighty big, but I'm saying you're probably going to have things going on in your life that shouldn't be there if you don't have the fear of God in you. And, and, and if you do have the fear of God in you, you're going to be making way, way better decisions. So let, let's unpack this for a second. You know, the Bible tells us to fear not. And I, you've probably heard this. I've heard it a, a thousand times. I've never taken the time to count. But, you know, there are people who say that um, we're told not to be afraid 366 times in the Bible, which is once for every day of the year plus one. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's true, but I've heard it many, many times. But I do know that many times in Scripture we're told um, to fear not. But never, never, not one time in the Bible are we told not to be afraid of God. Uh, on the contrary, the, the fear of God is repeatedly um, uh, uh, you know, stressed. For example, Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Psalm thirty three eighteen says, the Lord watches over those who fear him. Psalm 36 and verse 1 says, sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have no fear of God to restrain them. And that's why I said a while ago that if you don't have the fear of God in your life, you're probably going to be doing all kinds of things you shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. Luke 12, 4 and 5 says, dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill you. They can only kill the body. They can't do any more to you, but I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill people and then throw them into hell. I thought about writing a book about some of the most uncomfortable things <laughs> Jesus ever said, and trust me, that would be in it. Yeah. You know, I, God I, has the power to kill people mm-hmm. and throw them into hell. Yeah. So we talk about fear, uh, Mark. In my ninth grade English comp class, I learned about synonyms. What might be some other synonyms for fear? Respect, awe. Um, you know, I, but I do think there's an element of terror there. Now, I know lots of preachers like to say we shouldn't have any of that kind of fear toward God. And I agree it shouldn't be the main thing. But let's think about these disciples for a second. You know, they they were thrilled to have this storm calmed. They were thrilled to be out of that situation. But Jesus did it in such a jaw-dropping way that they were stunned. And they're looking at each other and they're saying, what is going on here? The significance of their question, who is this? Who is this guy that could do something like this? The significance of that question is found in a quirky little fact we seldom think about. 
And that is this, that answers create more questions than they eliminate. Mm. Let that soak in for a second. Yeah, I'm thinking about that one. Yeah, answers create more questions than they eliminate. Now, uh, for example, uh, every new discovery opens the door to new possibilities, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Every time you, you're driving on a road trip you know, with your family, you come to the top of the hill, suddenly you can see over the hill, and you see um, all kinds of different curves and bends in the road that you couldn't see before. And one of the great examples of this in, in uh, American history is the Wright brothers. Um, I happen to have looked this up, but their primitive little plane, you know, uh, got off the ground in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina on December 17, 1903. It flew 120 feet in 12 seconds. Okay. During that 12-second flight, lots of questions were answered. But for every question that was answered, 10 more were created. Mm-hmm. And that's why after a brief celebration – the brothers ran straight back to their bicycle shop and went back to work mm-hmm. because they knew their work was really just getting started. And likewise, now think about the disciples. They learned something about Jesus when he calmed the wind and the waves, but that information opened the door to a thousand new possibilities. And some of them were pretty scary. You think about it. I mean, they knew that someone who possessed that kind of power could do anything. He could do anything he wanted at any time. They knew that all of a sudden. Wow. And it's a very short jump from there to the realization that it would be unwise to disobey or antagonize somebody with that kind of power. And this is the value of godly fear. From that day forward... That storm story out on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus calmed that that storm, from that day forward, I am sure the disciples were a little more attentive when (laughs) Jesus spoke. (laughs) They were a little quicker to obey when he asked them to do something. I'm sure they were a little slower to complain when he said something they didn't like. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is the value of the fear of God. Boy, what a what a defining moment in their minds. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there's no turning back from that experience. And that, that would have been so uh, instrumental in how they would think going forward, I would yeah, imagine. For the rest of their lives, yeah, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Let me take a break. Mark Atterbury is my guest. We're talking the red words of Jesus. And if your faith tank is a little empty, you've come to the right show. We're going to get your tank refilled with the words of Jesus. We'll take a short break and be right back with Mark. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Mark Atterbury as my guest. You can go learn about Mark at a littlestrongereveryday.com. A littlestrongereveryday.com. 
We're talking in our series of the red words of Jesus, and we're focusing today on Matthew chapter 8. And Mark, you're doing a spectacular job of helping break this down. I, I love the idea that amidst any storm we have, uh, Jesus is um, going to be there for us, even though we sometimes take the storm in life and we connect it to our time frame, and there's where we have some conflict. Right. Um, I always think of it this way, and it's true in this text, and I think it's true in everyday life, is you might think there's one storm. There's actually two. There's a storm that's going on outside of you, and there's a storm that's going on inside of you so many times. And I think that was true of the disciples in this passage. I mean, the, the storm in the air was obvious, the wind and the waves and all that. But they had a storm in their hearts, too. They were They were fearful. They thought they were going to die. They were about, you know, they were ticked off at Jesus for not helping. There were all sorts of things going on inside them that, that you know, was, was just chaotic, and, and uh, it, they were just a mess at that moment. The thing is, you know, Jesus doesn't always calm the outside storm. And that's something we have to remember. If you're going through a hard time, if something is really hard, and messed up in your life, and you're dealing with it, and it's painful or whatever, you have to understand that there may be some purpose of God in that struggle, that he's trying to teach you something, that he's trying to bring maturity into your life, that he's trying to prepare you for a job or a mission he has for you down the road. And you may not see what that is. You may not know what that is. But when he doesn't seem to be you know, calming the wind and the waves and fixing the storm and making it go away, I think that's, that's the thought that you should cling to, is that if God is allowing you to go through this, then there must be a purpose. And you need to be patient. You need to wait. You need to see what that purpose is. But even when God doesn't calm the outside storm, he will always calm the inside storm. Mm. He will always deal with what's in your heart, and he will give you peace. He will give you hope. He will help you sleep at night. It, it depends, though, on your willingness to submit to him and to allow his Holy Spirit to work in your life. But yeah, there there are always you know not maybe not a hundred percent of the time, but most of the time there are actually two storms. When you think there's one, there's actually two: the one outside and the one inside. And so, what is in your heart? You know, are, are you open to the words of God? Um, years ago, years ago, there was a Gatorade commercial. And some of you know you might remember this. The, the catchphrase or the key line in the, in the commercial was, "Is it in you? Is it in you?" And it shows some guy drinking, and and the uh, you know the the Gatorade dripping down his chin is bright green, and you know this guy's been out running and he's like sweating and all this. But the question was, "Is it in you?" So I looked up that commercial the other day because of that phrase. I thought, "Wow, I wonder if that could apply to God's word." Well, listen to this. Here's the exact text that the voiceover artist reads on that commercial. There are times when life is a battle of wills, when gaining ground means losing blood, when exhilaration means exhaustion, when the vision of your goal is blurred only by the tears in your eyes. 
And either you have it in you or you don't. Whoa. And then the, the tagline is Gatorade. Is it in you? But if you take out the word Gatorade and you stick in God's word, yeah, that whole thing just explodes with meaning for Christians. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the Gatorade people really intended uh, to, to make it that powerful of an application for a, a sermon or whatever, yeah. but it's, it's right there. You know, it makes a difference what is in you. Yeah. Mark, can you, can you hang out for a second? I have to step out of the studio and get a Gatorade. <laughs> yeah, my, my, actually, my son-in-law works for Gatorade. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he brings us free cases all the time. But Pre- Pretty compelling, uh, yeah. But I wonder, you know, Bill, I wonder, really, how much value do we place on God's words? Um, let me give you an example. I'm retired from being a pastor now. I still preach and do lots of things, but I'm retired from leading a church. Let's put it that way. But back when I was leading a church, there was a family in our church, good family, you know, nice people in church every Sunday, positive, helpful, whatever. And I was in their home one evening. I stopped by to just discuss something that was going on. They had a family event coming up, and I I went to their home to talk to them about it. And they invited me into the family room, and they gestured toward, you know, the recliner and said, have a seat. This is the best seat in the house. You can sit there. And so I went over and sat down in this recliner, and in front of me, kind of off to the side, was a coffee table with a great big Bible on it. And immediately to my right was a wall. And I, it was within reach. I mean, I could reach out my arm and touch the wall. And on this wall was shelving built into the wall. And on these shelves were DVDs, the family DVD collection. Yeah, okay. I turned my head and looked at those DVDs, and I could not believe some of the titles that were there. So three feet to my right are hard R DVDs with cursing and nudity and all kinds of stuff like that. Three feet to my left is a table with the Bible sitting there. Now, I wonder, I don't know, I'm not judging them. I'm just wondering which collection was more important to them. You know, the the secular entertainment, you know, all that stuff, or the words of God. Here's what I fear, Bill. I'll just make it real simple. I fear that for a lot of Christians, the words of Jesus, God's word, the Bible— I believe it's become more of an accessory than something that we're really into. To have it sitting on the coffee table when people come into your home or to carry it to church mm-hmm. uh, as, as like a fashion accessory. But, and that's fine, you know, to have it on the coffee table or to carry it to church or wherever. But are you really digging into it? And are you really listening to what God is saying? And are you really applying it to your life? It's two different things. You know, to have the word in your life as a as an accessory or to have it being something that actually directs everything you think and everything you do. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Mark, you've I, I love the I love the words that you've decided to uh talk about today, the words of Jesus out of Matthew eight and also Mark four and 
It is such a strong passage for so many tonight who are in the middle of a storm. They feel that there's chaos going on, and they they don't maybe feel that they're hearing from God in a timely fashion. And yet God, in this Jesus, in this moment, not only was he asleep, but he woke up and calmed the storm. And I I know that is what he does in our lives. Mm -hmm. Yep. And... And sometimes, again, if he lets you go through it for a little while, it doesn't mean he's not there. Right. Doesn't mean he's not work, watching over you. Doesn't mean he's not protecting you. It's it means he's trying to teach you something. Mm-hmm. And so you need to embrace that too. As hard because as that we, is. Yeah. As we always want to to let God work in our lives, and and that means when he's working in a good way that we like, or if he's working in a way that's hard. As long as he's working in our lives, we'll be fine. But when we shut him out or we, you know, uh, don't respond, uh, quench the spirit, whatever, mm-hmm. that's when we're in trouble. Yeah. Mark, thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been a delight having you on. Oh, thanks, Bill. I love it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mark Atterbury has been my guest. You can learn more about Mark at a littlestrongereveryday.com. A littlestrongereveryday.com. And if you missed any of the show, I always encourage you to go to the podcast. You can go to MyFaithRadio.com, check out the Afternoons page, and you'll find the podcast up and ready for you uh, just minutes after the show. So have a great night, everyone. I'll look forward to being with you tomorrow. And I uh, appreciate you so much, and, and I pray for you, and I love you. Good night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.